0: Spirit of the living God, fall upon us in this moment as we gather around your word, as we seek not only your counsel, God, but to come to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Thank you, God, that you are our champion, you're the victor, that you're the one who has conquered sin and death so that we might be your forgiven, freed, renewed, and your called out people. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said... It's a guy by the name of Gary Haugen, who was 10 years old when his dad took him and his older brothers to this place, to Mount Rainier. And if you've ever been to Mount Rainier, below the tree line, there's this luxuriant, incredible, um, amazing rainforest with these huge Douglas fir trees, and then when you get above the tree line, you get these incredible alpine meadows bursting in the summertime with maybe the most magnificent array of wildflowers found anywhere else in all of the world, and yet this 14,000-foot mountain is, is just covered with snow, with glaciers. It's one of the true remarkable gems and beauties of the world. And so they drive up the winding road to be able to get there. And they start to kind of hike around a little bit at the base where their parking lot is. And Gary doesn't really want to go any further. He's 10 years old. He's stubborn. And he just doesn't feel like going on a hike. And so he convinces his dad. He says, listen... Um, I I don't want to really go on the long hike to Camp Muir where you guys want to go, so I think you should just let me stay here. I think you should let me stay in the visitor center. And uh, this is going to be better for me anyway. It's safer. They've got all kinds of incredible information. Um, You know, you can learn the Latin names of all the kind of plants. You can see the movies. You can learn about the animals. It'll be a better educational experience. Just let me kind of stay behind. And Gary's dad doesn't really want to do it, but he also doesn't want to force him to do something that he doesn't want to do. So he's like, okay, well, we're going to hike up to Camp Muir, and it's going to take us a while, but you'll stay here. And he's like, okay. So Gary stays behind. And for the first couple of hours, this was fantastic. I mean, he was free. He was on his own. He could go anywhere in the visitor center that he wanted to go. um, And everything was really interesting. But by the time you watch those videos that are on, like, you know, a 10-minute loop over and over again, when you've seen a video six or seven times, you're kind of done. And those animals, when you first walk in the room, like a stuffed animal, you kind of look at that trophy and you're like, ooh, that's really cool. But after a while, that animal looks really dead. And then you can only cram your head full of so much stuff before that 10 little 10 year old brain was just completely cooked with the visitor center and what had seemed to be this huge, expansive, exciting place. It was like the walls kept kind of closing in on this 10-year-old boy and he was completely bored. But he had to wait another hour and another hour and another hour. And finally, finally his dad and his older brother show up. And when they do, they've got some scrapes on their knees. They've got the windblown look of the sun having kissed their faces and having experienced the glory of climbing to the top of one of the glaciers. And on the car ride home they were filled with the spirit of wonder of all the things that they had really seen and you know what had gary had seen the inside of a visitor center and later on gary said that he never forgot that moment and he wrote this phrase he goes i made the trip but i missed the adventure i made the trip but i missed the adventure does that describe you in any way? Have you ever made all the effort, gone all that way, and yet missed out on what was really in store for you? Part of the reason I love that story is that it's an amazing parable for kind of the typical Christian life for a lot of people that I run into, that a lot of the people I know, uh, instead of going out to the frontiers of the wild with God, they, they settle for a visitor-center view of Christianity. You know what the visitor center view of Christianity is? It's like this. you got to get your membership card. you got forgiveness of sins, check. Go to heaven after you die, check. Send small donations to charity, and boom, you've got your visitor center Christianity. But my guess is, is that if you've been practicing this for a long time, you're starting to feel the walls of this kind of small faith start to come in on you and you're thinking to yourself quietly, even if you're not willing to admit this to others, there's gotta be more. This can't be it. Well, I'm here to tell you that there is more. And the way that the Jesus describes it is so compelling. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 14, we're going to see how Jesus promises and talks about how there's this greater opportunity that is before us. We are walking through our series in the Apostles' Creed. We're like two thirds of the way through. We've talked about God being the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We've talked about Jesus Christ being his only Son, our Lord. And today, we move to the third person, the Trinity, where we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And some of the most Information that we have in the Bible from Scripture about the Holy Spirit comes to us from what's known as the Upper Room Discourse. This is the 14th through the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. This is where Jesus turns to his lonely and frightened disciples and says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me and my Father's house. There are many rooms. And then a few verses later after that, he talks about Jesus, talks about himself being the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And then just a few verses after that, we get to this, John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. If you have your own Bible, I'd love for you to circle the word greater because that word in Greek is mega. You're gonna be doing mega more than you thought or even imagined, even more than the things that the disciples were witnessing in their time and their age. Even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name and I will do it. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. May God bless not only the hearing and the receiving, but also the putting into practice of his holy word. I want to begin today with a little bit of time of interaction. I'd love for you to turn to someone or a couple of people near you and, and answer this. Describe a time when someone came alongside you to help you to do something that you didn't think that you could possibly do. Describe a time that someone came alongside you and helped you to do something that you didn't think you could do. Ready, set, commence talking. Go. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what particular challenge uh, that you were facing or opportunity that was before you that you didn't think that you could do. But um, I, know that if, I know that if my mom were here standing up in the chancel with me, that, that she, she would talk about the time that she had double knee replacement surgery. I mean, can you imagine not just replacing one of your knees, but both of your knees at the same time? You might be asking, why did she have to have both of her knees replaced at the same time? Because the doctor said that both of her knees were in such bad shape and that the surgery and recovery is so hard that studies show that when you have one knee fixed, that after a year you're like, I'm just not even going to bother with the other knee. I'm not even going to do it. And so she had both of her knees Replaced at the same time in the surgery. And can you imagine what it was like to try to learn to walk after that? Can you imagine what it would be to, if you've ever gone through some sort of leg injury, what it would be like to trust, to, to put your weight again on that and to learn what it means to, again, one, put, one foot in front of the other. There's a reason we learn to walk when we're little, little, and we can't, we can't complain about it. And uh, when you fall, you've even forgotten that you've even fallen and gotten up. Imagine retraining yourself. Well, there was someone who helped to come alongside her to help her with this. And, and yes, my dad was there to help her. But, but also there was a specific person, a person who was known as a physical therapist. Now, we agree that physical therapy in my family is just a form of sanctioned torture in the United States. And, uh, and yet this person got right in it with her to help her to learn what did it mean to put that foot down and what did it mean to be able to, to shift the weight and to learn how to walk so you didn't walk with a limp and so that you were learning to heal in the best way possible. And day after day, that physical therapist was with her and helping her to discover how to do this again. When Jesus describes that the Holy Spirit is going to come, he says that the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he uses a particular Greek word. In your translation, it was the word advocate, or in other translations, if you have your Bible, it's the an helper or a comforter as well. But the Greek word is parakletos, and this word means literally para, means to come alongside, and kletos means like to be called to do it. It's someone who is summoned or called to be by your side. But you need to think of this image, not in terms of somebody coming alongside you kind of to console you in terms of the comfort, like there, there, it's going to be okay. No, it is, the the connotation of the word is someone who, who comes alongside you to help you to do something that you didn't think that was even possible, to encourage you to be able to accomplish something that you didn't know that you could do. This is the nature of the Holy Spirit That Jesus says that when he leaves, when he goes to the Father, that there is more, that there are greater things, that he's not going to leave us orphaned, he's not going to leave us abandoned, that there's another who's coming, and that this is one who will come alongside you to help. Now, the Holy Spirit is kind of the most mysterious or the elusive. I mean, it's kind of far more comfortable for us to talk about God, you know, being the maker of all things, and Jesus who came to do some certain things in history, and those things were concrete. And then you have this elusive notion of the Holy Spirit. And there's two kind of common mistakes that many people make when it comes to the Holy Spirit that I've noticed. One, one of the common mistakes that we make with the Holy Spirit is what I'll call the intellectual mistake. And with the intellectual mistake, uh, this is kind of particularly the Presbyterian mistake. This is the one that we tend to make. And let me see if I can explain what this mistake is for you. Well, when I was in college, I was dating a young woman, uh, a great young woman by the name of Catherine, and we dated a couple of different times in college. There was this period of time where we were dating, and I broke up with her, and then there was, uh, uh, it was a time that we were dating again, and she broke up with me. It was a revenge breakup. Um, it was pretty ugly, and... Um, and the second time, when, when she broke up with me, she said this phrase to me that's not uncommon. And this is before the days of the internet where you could look up, like, here's the top 10 things to say to somebody when you're breaking their heart. Um, she said this, and, and I believe that she actually meant it. She said, Rich, you like the idea of dating me more than you like actually being with me. And I'll never forget, I opened my mouth to, like, dispute what she had said and to defend my honor. And I was like... Oh, you're totally right. (laughs) Because she was. I really did like the idea of being kind of in a dating relationship and in a dating relationship with her more than I actually liked spending time with her. So really, she did me a favor by breaking up with me in that regards. But I know many people who are like that in their relationship with God. that, That we like the idea of God more than we like being in a relationship with God. And you want to know why we like the idea of God more than a relationship with God? Because that's that's how we retain control. Like if you like the idea of God, then you can still kind of maintain the illusion of I'm in control of this thing. When you're learning about God and you're discovering God and you're studying God, but you're not in a give and take relationship with God, You're still in control of that relationship. So as long as God remains an idea, you're totally okay with that. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit will not be used in that way. So that's the intellectual mistake. But then there's also a mistake on the other end of the spectrum. This one I'll call the emotional mistake. And if the intellectual mistake for the egghead Presbyterians of the world, if if that's what we tend to do, this is more common to kind of the Pentecostal or charismatic tradition. This is the emotional mistake. My wife Kelly served at an Assemblies of God University for several years, and so we drew close to a part of the kind of Christian family that we historically don't, kind of in the Presbyterian side of the world, and, and they, they struggle with the Holy Spirit in a very different way than Presbyterians tend to. Because in the Pentecostal realm, it's not kind of Bible studying what you're learning and that kind of stuff as much as it is about having this enthusiastic and energetic and um, kind of euphoric experience with the Holy Spirit. But I love how Paul Miller offers an incredible warning to this when he says this. He says, God doesn't want to be experienced. He wants to be known. It's not about an experience with God. It's about God being known. And so just as I said it on the other side, the Holy Spirit is not going to be used that way where God is propping up you having particular religious or spiritual feelings about God? Because once again, you're still trying to remain in control of a relationship. You're manipulating, you're manufacturing at times these experiences instead of surrendering control to the Spirit of God. When I graduated from seminary, um, I moved to Houston, Texas. I took an associate pastor position at a church, and my primary responsibilities were for young adults' ministry. And being kind of with the business background that, that I have, I was like, well, let me find out who's got some of the best practices in the city and I'll kind of investigate how they're doing, you know, ministry, how I can learn from them in that particular way. And uh, there, was this, there was this great ministry that was humongous in Houston at the time. It was called a Metro Bible Study. And um, there was a guy who led that Bible study. 4,000 people, 4,000 young adults, most of them under the age of 30, all came to this Bible study. It was humongous, and a friend of mine went to this every week, and, uh, and so I, you know, kind of tagged along with him this one particular time, and invited me to go with him, and so I go in. I mean, there's a lot of energy in this room, and I can tell you, this was the greatest singles dating market I had ever seen in my life. And so there were people all over the place, and this guy gave up, and he, and he gave the Bible study, and it was awful. It wasn't boring. It was pretty enthusiastically done, but I mean, biblically and theologically, this guy was so far off the mark. I mean, he was just kind of wrong about this and that, and I'm taking notes, and I'm like, goodness gracious, it's so, I mean, there's so many people here at this, and yet this guy has, I think, a completely erroneous, unbiblical kind of view of, of God. And so we went to, you know, to kind of this dinner afterwards. We went for a burger afterwards. We're sitting under this ginormous kind of tree. And they're like, they finally turned to me and they're like, this small group of people are like, hey, what did you think of the Bible study tonight? And I was like, it was awful. I didn't hold back. I was very critical and said what I didn't like about it. Uh, it's funny. They did not invite me back to their group um, or to the Bible study after that. But here's the thing. I did actually go back. But the next time I went back, I went back on my own. And have you ever had one of those experiences? I mean, I had my guard up, right? Because I had had such a bad experience before. I had my guard way up. And it was one of those experiences where it was like, there could have been, even though there were 4,000 people in the room, he was talking directly to me. And he talked about his experiences growing up in church. And with those experiences that, He had kind of studied a lot about God or had these emotional experiences kind of about God. But when in reality, it was about the Spirit of God. A Spirit of God that will not leave us orphaned, leave us abandoned is not just kind of studying about God the Father, God the Son, that there's a third member of the Trinity and we're totally uncomfortable with that. But the invitation is for God to come alongside us, to help us, to advocate for us. And that in reality, the invitation goes as far as to say that the Spirit of God wants to dwell within us. And he said, you know, for the longest time I grew up in church and I mean, I, I said the prayer, I gave my life to Christ, I believed in God, maker of heaven and earth, but I had never invited the Spirit to come into me. And he said, I wonder about you. Have you ever asked for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to take root in your life? to do life with the Spirit of God and not on all your own power. That night, for the first time in my life, I asked the Spirit of God to dwell within me. And my life has never been the same since. There's a guy by the name of Joel Mancini. He's the son of one of my dear friends, Will Mancini. Will's actually the one who's working with us in a church to help us to kind of excavate our vision here at Peachtree as we're working on that. And his son was dating this great young gal by the name of Ashley, and Joel had it in his mind that it was time for him to pop the question and to propose to her. And so he concocted this elaborate scheme. And yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this, but guys, we we create this giant smoke screen during an engagement, you know, basically to distract the woman from uh, saying no. We don't want her to say no. And so we make these things really elaborate and cool kind of surprises so that they'll say yes. And, um, and one of the things that he and Ashley really liked to do was to go hiking together. And so he decided that he would lug a generator out in, you know, kind of further down the trail, and he created this little oasis of modernity with this generator. He had um, music playing, and he had strung up lights because it was kind of twilight time, and um, he had even taken pictures of not only like you know of their relationship now, but also like childhood pictures and hung them uh, around. In other words, Joel was making all of us look bad by doing all of this. And, and, and so that they were very casually gonna be on their hike. So they go on their hike and they're kind of casually walking along when all of a sudden along the trail, they stumble across this picnic, beautiful, little, lighted, musical area. And Joel's like, come on, let's go check it out. And so they go over there and they're kind of standing in this little area And all of a sudden, Ashley goes, Joel, Joel, we got to get out of here. Somebody's going to get engaged. (laughs) And Joel's like, Ashley, look at these pictures. She's like, Joel, you don't understand. We got to get out of here. We don't want to ruin this proposal. We got to go. And she starts to leave. He has to like grab her by the arm and pull her back. And he's like, Ashley. Ashley. Look closer at the images. And all of a sudden, she discovers that in each of the pictures, they're all about her. That's really weird because somebody's going to get engaged there. (laughs) And then as you can see in this picture, Joel gets down to one knee, opens the box, and says, Ashley... Will you marry me? This is a really sad story because Ashley said no. I'm just kidding. She said yes. (laughs) But here's the deal the Lord Jesus Christ in the incarnation gets down on his knees and invites us to share life together. He's not inviting us into an idea. He's not inviting us into an experience. He's inviting us to have the Spirit of God to create a partnership. A covenant, a bond. Because I believe in the Holy Spirit, I will partner with God each and every day. This is the invitation. But I'm afraid that many of you are far more comfortable in the confines of the visitor center instead of being willing to join your heavenly father out into the wild frontiers of what he has in store for you. Here's what you need to know from me. I have zero desire to be a curator of a really good visitor center called Peachtree Presbyterian Church. It's not what I think a pastor is supposed to be. I think there's more. I think there's a world out there that desperately needs to encounter and discover the love of Jesus Christ. And that invitation means, like we saw in this passage, you can ask anything There's love, there's obedience, there's trust, there's truth. Nothing's off limits. Never left, never forsaken, never abandoned. And that he wants to come alongside us. That we don't have to go on the adventure alone. Sure, you can settle for the safety of a visitor center kind of Christianity, but I'm guessing that those walls will start to come in for you a little bit. And there's gonna be a little part of you that says there's gotta be more. Jesus says there is greater things. Greater things will you do because I go to the Father.